the one. It's Rob with four songs. Yeah, I know. It's been a while since my last episode. But I got to tell you, it's going to be a while before the next one, too. It's just the way things are going. Time is not my friend these days. But if you are so inclined and don't want to miss out, I suggest you hit that subscribe button. It's got to be somewhere, however you're listening to this. So just click it so you don't miss anything. Follow me on Twitter, at 4songs2. That's at 4songs, numeral 2. You never know when I might sneak an episode in the next couple weeks. I just can't guarantee when that's going to be. So best thing to do is subscribe so you don't miss anything. And I really hope this next episode is worth the wait, because for me it was. And I say that about all my podcasts, because they're all pretty special to me. But this one's pretty special to me, too. For a number of reasons. Number one, it's the first time I get to talk to a pair of sisters who've written an album together. Number two, it's the first time I talk to someone who's played and written with Steve Earle in quite a long time. No matter what you think of Steve Earle, I don't think anyone can deny that he is one of the greatest songwriters of all time, perhaps one of the best ever, and certainly of his generation, of my generation, of whatever generation you are, Steve Earle will always rank amongst the top singer-songwriters ever. And to get to talk to someone who's literally one degree of separation from that is pretty special. My guests for this episode are Bonnie and Eleanor Whitmore of the Whitmore Sisters. Bonnie and Eleanor are no strangers to the music industry, have been both writing and producing and, and singing and releasing albums in the Americana, alt-country, no depression, country rock, folk rock, genre, whatever you want to call it these days. And they're pretty damn good. You may have heard of Eleanor Whitmore. She and her husband, Chris Masterson, are the husband-wife duo of the Mastersons. The Mastersons also are part of Steve Rowe's backing band, The Dukes, so hence the Steve Rowe connection. We talk quite a bit about Steve in this episode, so for those who are big fans, you're going to like this one. Bonnie herself has been in the industry too for a number of years, having written a number of solo albums and has also been in and around, you name it, the who's who of songwriters within that Americana genre. And if there's one positive of the pandemic, it's that it gave the time for Eleanor and Bonnie to write an album together. I talked to Bonnie and Eleanor from their home in LA just after Ghost Stories came out, which was released in January of 2022. Ghost Stories, it's, it's a heck of a listen. It is an emotional powerhouse. We talk about four songs from the record, Hurtin' for a Letdown, which I mistakenly call Hurtin' for a Breakdown in their interview, Ghost Stories, Greek Tragedy, and The Ballad of Sissy and Porter. Each song is special, each song is unique, each song is intensely personal, but written in a way that everyone can relate to it. And we cover quite a bit on this podcast. We talk about racism, we talk about death, we talk about drugs, we talk about life. We talk about celebrating and enjoying and not taking life for granted. So yeah, this episode gets pretty dark at times. It gets pretty emotional. And I want to thank Bonnie and Eleanor for opening up and being so forthcoming and frank with our interview. It's kind of rare to get people to, to emote and talk openly like this. And I just want to take note of that and thank them for, for doing that with me. And for those keeping score at home, Bonnie answers the first question, and then Eleanor answers it as well. And as you can tell from being sisters, they do finish each other's thoughts and complete each other's sentences. So buckle up, folks. Grab some handkerchiefs. Get ready, because this is a doozy. Please welcome Bonnie and Eleanor Whitmore to Four Songs. Thank you, Bonnie and Eleanor, for being with me tonight. How are you? Good. Thanks for having us. Good. Good. So, you know, I started this almost two years ago when the pandemic was just getting started, and here we are almost two years later and 
that I asked everyone the same first question just because it's still happening. How have you all been the last couple of years? Well, <laughs> floopy. We just learned a new word called floop. And I think that sort of describes us a bit where it's uh it's like good and bad and anxiety and like happiness and stress and all of those things. It's floop. Yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's been uh, interesting to kind of, you know, just keep pivoting once we got stuck at home to, you know, get over the shock of being stuck at home and then trying to find, you know, cool things to do with our time, which I think we did a good job of. And then, you know, as everything has kind of gotten back, as we've gotten back to work, it's the comeback. It's, it's still coming it's, and it's a lot of change. Still kind of uncertain and a lot of pivoting and it's you know, things aren't normal yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is a, a podcast about songs and songwriting. I, I always wanted to be a songwriter. I never could do it. And so I've always, I love talking to people like you two who just uh, do it so well. And we'll talk about ghost stories for most of the conversation. But before we do that, I just wanted to just give an insight into your journey into music. I mean, you both played with and toured with and written songs with a who's who of classic, what we call Americana, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and from Steve Earle to the Mastersons, Dark Powell and Shooter Jennings. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I mean, so for each of you, I mean, who have you learned the most from in terms of writing and songwriting? And what, what were the biggest lessons that they imparted to you? Well, I always credit my parents, first off. I think we both do. Our dad is a songwriter, so I guess his influence probably started pretty young. And he listened to a lot of really great songwriters and covered a lot of great songwriters as well. Which we didn't know that they were covers until later. So we just assumed they were all my dad's songs. And we're like, oh, wait, that's a Bob Dylan tune. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but then I've also learned a lot just from working with a lot of the songwriters that I've played with over the years. We've played uh, with a couple hit songwriters, uh, Bruce Robinson and Susan Gibson. Well, I, Kelly Willis, I was thinking of too, and Kelly Kim Ritchie. Kelly a great songwriter. Um, mm -hmm. so, Those were early influences on us, for and sure. And obviously playing with Steve Earle as one of the greatest living songwriters. And, you know, I think you learn something from, from each of those people. Um, I, it's hard to say who, who would be the most influential. But well, it's hard to say, like, like I think of James McMurtry is like one of the best songwriters out there doing it and being around that and uh, touring with him like I had pre-pandemic, but I don't write like him. You know, I, I would say I, I maybe write more like somebody like John D. Graham or something of that sort. But I mean, I think you get influence from good storytellers as to wanting to be able to tell your own story in a way that is unique. So when you say you write differently, I mean, how, and not to, not to disclose your secrets, but just how, how does the process work for, for both of you? Well, I think a lot of the songwriting that I have approached is from a place of therapy. And so I'm writing about something that I'm trying to go through. And of course the intention is to want other people to empathize with me, or if somebody's going something through something similar, then it reaches them as well. It's not just a selfish endeavor, but like, when I think of how James McMurtry writes, he writes like, I, I always would sort of say this as the opener. It's like, I'm here to soften you up so you can fully receive the humanity that is James McMurtry and his writing style. Cause he writes about so many different characters and depending on who it's listening, identifies with that character. And uh, 
I think it's a beautiful way of writing. Like a, a, it's, it's like a, a book and a song, you know, but I also know that like Bruce Robinson, as we mentioned, he has a way of being able to say something so poignant, but so simply uh, that it makes you like almost angry at him for writing that song so well. And so, and have it flow so easily. So I think that's my challenge to myself is to not just write about like my own personal issues, but also to write a song that is going to be easily to, to consume, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think <laughs> as it in the, in the pop element, there's always that kind of, I think influence on both of us too. It's like, we want it to be catchy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, so when you were growing up, did you both have like fellow or body? Did you both have different tastes at some point where your tastes diverged? Cause you mentioned Madonna and, just that 80s because I grew up. She highly that, influenced me in some very questionable ways, I think. Yeah, we I, I was like really into erasure yeah. when I was a yeah. kid. And I, <laughs> so like, I I don't know if that describes my musical taste at all these days, but <laughs> I understand. But there is something about the kind of I think there is like sort of androgyny in a lot of the music that came out in the 80s that mm -hmm. spoke to a different wildness to it where it was not necessarily gender fluid. And I don't know. I feel like, like I got, I got really into Bjork in like middle school, which was not normal for a lot of my friends even, you know? So yeah, it was just kind of like, I think even when there was popular music to be consumed, we weren't, we were still like, uh, my first love uh, of record wise was like Bonnie Raitt's Nick of Time. And I think that would be a perfect example of like Americana because mm -hmm. I mean, there was like Jamaican drums on one track and then like, weird other roto toms on other but somehow it worked as this sort of like acoustic album you know <laughs> like very folksy i don't know i just feel like there's a lot of whimsy to our approach i think to songs yeah well let's talk about ghost stories which i as i said i think it's a it's brilliant there's so many beautiful pieces to it and they're just different sounds like there's cajun i hear a lot of cajun and i even hear some like kind of irish dirge kind of sound too and, throughout. So, I mean, I think we're at that point in the pandemic where albums have been written and recorded and now released since it all started. It was how Ghost Stories got together. Is that correct? Like you all started yeah. talking about this. Bonnie and I have been talking about making a record really for our whole lives, but haven't really put it um, forward <laughs> as a priority. We're both procrastinators. We're both very busy with other projects and uh, the pandemic was definitely a gift of time. And it's something that kind of you know, we, we thought about it, but Chris uh, Masterson, yeah. my husband and a co-bandmate, the Mastersons and Steve Earle and the Dukes, he really, we have to blame or thank him. Yeah, we have to credit him, whether it's good or bad for uh, basically pushing us uh, to make this happen. I mean, so the album itself covers a number of issues, but it seems like there's a central theme on death, love and redemption. And it's, Seems like, but the songs themselves we'll be talking about are very different in how they sound. You know, from the ballad of Sissy and Porter, hurting for a breakdown, ghost stories, and Greek tragedy. Was there any kind of like ground rules when you were putting these songs together? I mean, did you bring songs to the table, or were these written together, all of them, or how did that? Majority of them were written together. A, a few of them, um, or a couple of them, I like Sissy and Porter. I had written with uh, Bonnie Montgomery, so that was a complete work. Hurting for a letdown. Hurting for a letdown. Although hurting for a breakdown is a is a good title. I think we might need to do that one. <laughs> That'll be yours. Uh, when the band breaks down. 
heard from, for a letdown, Bonnie already had. Uh, I had that one. But we had we had some other kind of songs that weren't finished yet that we helped each other finish out, like Greek Tragedy and um, Learn to Fly, Learn to Fly, and uh, Superficial World of Love. And but um, Friends We Leave Behind was the first song we'd actually written that one a, a few years, or a couple years beforehand. And that one, like a lot of these songs, were uh, were inspired by friends that we had lost, and so there is that kind of need to express grief and. Friends We Leave Behind was after we lost our friend uh, George Reef, and so that was kind of a that was one a that cathartic we, one. And we already had it finished, so that was at least it was sort of the template. It was one that we had to start with, and that kind of like set the tone for where yeah. we were going with the album. Yeah. So what I like about it is, I mean, and this, it's it's not just a snapshot in time. Like I know there's a time and place for what we call a pandemic project. I mean, my this podcast is a pandemic project, but this sounds like it could have been recorded at any point. I think that's that's something that is really important to me is to when you do make a recording for it to be something that's timeless that doesn't sound like dated dated at some point you want to be able to draw on elements that um, don't necessarily put it in a time and place Um, I think that that's really important for the longevity of of the art but there is something about what we all have been going through over the past few years and especially these past couple years like I think people are They've lost a lot of, we've lost a lot of people just to this, you know, virus and everything. But, you know, previous to that, there was a lot of, we'd lost some friends, but also, you know, legendary people that we've lost over the years, including like Betty White a few weeks ago, you know? So I think there's this universal loss that we are understanding and collectively going through. So it did help influence kind of the the, the theme all because loss is universal and, and I think we all need help in dealing with that, uh, especially with the pandemic, because I think a lot of people have been dealing with depression that they haven't really necessarily had to go through or feel before. And for someone who's chronically depressed like myself, like it was like kind of almost having a moment of everybody empathizing with me. And I was like, oh, this is how I think all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what's the secret to, for it to sound timeless? I, mean, I know that now sounds like a really stupid question because I know it's not an easy answer, but it's really not easy at all um honestly like so hurting for a letdown is a good example of a song that is kind of written and it sounds like a throwback song it's like a country shuffle it's a very traditional sounding tune and i think a lot of people would approach that in a way where they would record it and 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 put it in that throwback feel but it just sounds kitschy and like it's just never going to sound like a tune from you know a country tune from the 40s you're just never gonna it's not gonna capture it's it's not gonna be captured in that way so chris really you know pushed us to kind of like change up the way we we approached that so that it wasn't just a traditional country shuffle on the drums we kind of took the the drums apart and and kind of orchestrated the parts a little bit more we added a lot of like mellotron and and fun elements that weren't traditional country a lot of whimsy to that song to to so that it didn't sound like it was like a a time capsule kind of a piece
I mean, you, you're right, it does have that kind of, it sounds like it could have been like, written by like Dwight Yoakam or even Grant Parsons could have done something like this. And But just how, how did this one come together for you? I definitely, I was pulling from that template because I felt like it was like t- taking a different spin on, on, on the heartbreak instead of, you know, blaming the other person. It's sort of like admitting to the fact that it's an addiction to heartbreak instead. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of, I've always had this um, suicidal heart essentially. And, you know, like, I don't, I don't need to be in a relationship to be in love with somebody. Let's just put it that way. So I can just sort of pull from that but that's you know a whole therapy session in itself so that was just my way of kind of like writing through my feelings at the time Yeah, and I like though that it it's kind of it's fun too in a sense. Like it's a there's a sense of humor to it, which I always find that to be really hard to to, to do in writing. And right. that, that just comes natural because I just think that that shows that you you take the craft seriously, but you're taking you're not taking yourself too seriously. And I think that's where a lot of songwriters kind of go wrong is that they take mm-hmm. themselves too seriously. Well, I think that's something that. It is, it is really difficult to accomplish that. And I just am sort of thankful when it comes through because I don't always expect it. I kind of did the same approach with another song called Fuck With Sad Girls, which was that sort of wanting to take a sentiment that I feel like a, is a, is said daily to people that suffer from depression and sort of spinning it so it's like more of a joke or more lighthearted to the sentiment and really empowering the person who's experiencing it. And that I, I really love that sort of like alone how I rule because that's what it feels like to me. Like it's not a need for conforming to the, what everybody else seems to want. It's more of like identifying, like I don't necessarily want this and it's okay. like if you approach it with whimsy or with a little bit of humor it's more easier to it's uh, more accessible yeah yeah it's more relatable and I, I think that's what makes this work so well is that it is something that people here are like okay i i, I know about that feeling it's like sometimes yeah. well but, and 
even going into a different song with ghost stories, that was a song that we had completed and we decided that it really wasn't our story to tell. So we pulled the lens back and rewrote it more pertaining to the, the systemic nature of violence in our society. And I think that actually did a lot to more uh, show, you know, kind of all marginalized groups that are being um, taken advantage of in that way. Yeah, because that was one of the songs I, I wanted to talk about because I really, I mean, I, I love all these songs, but I, this one is the one that stood out to me, I think, just because it is, it's, it's relevant and it's relatable, and, and but it is political. And it's political. And, but that's what, to me, that's what makes it, it's so, it works so well is that it's timeless too. But I, I know that it's, it was inspired by Elijah McClain. Is that right? Yeah. And I think that's a good example of like, you know, as a songwriter, you're, you don't always just you can't you don't always just finish the song and then you're done like you we we went back to that song and completely rewrote it because at, written only about Elijah McLean it's not that isn't our story to tell and it is a much bigger story of what's happening in our society and so I think it was a really good exercise for us to pull the lens back and to rethink that one and I think it is more relatable in that way because they're there was a huge story of um, violence in our society and, and people being, you know, their lives taken prematurely because of their skin color or because of their sexuality. If we had met, I would have loved you. We could have made story but you disappeared like a shadow into the dark knowing now what you went through deepens the pain that you're gone there's nothing left well, and it's so rooted and and that's like there is one thing to talk about racism and and uh, that that whole white supremacy aspect of it but we do need to actually start talking about like we can't just talk about the one individual story saying oh this was so sad and this is terrible we need to talk about the fact that it, this is systemic this is something that's problematic within the policing structure, within the judicial system. These are all the things that we actually need to look to the root of the cause that in order to establish change, to make it better so this doesn't keep happening. Well, and even what you're seeing now is after all of this awareness of police violence, now you're seeing a rise in violence against policemen. And so like, I think it's really important for us to look at the root causes of these things and yeah. to try to make our, our society and our communities better make policing work for the communities and building and community. build community yeah. and, and make that the focus of uh, of uh what our 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 cities and towns and all those type of things when we actually look and and bond together we do a lot to basically disperse that for everybody so it's not it's not fair to just pick on one sort of thing it's the fact that we actually need to utilize the fact that some of us are more published than other. We need to talk about um, not just equality, but equity, you know? Yeah. And in order to do that, that actually helps everybody. 
you know, not mm -hmm. just individually, but we're systematically seeing it across all spectrums, even with the, the like infrastructure of our country needs to be You're seeing the rise in homelessness yeah. and, and it does really feel like we have a moment here to kind of like look at some of these root causes instead of just ignoring them. I mean, it's, it's not, not a pretending it doesn't exist. Doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah. How do you know when you're writing a song like this that you've got it right? Because I think you've talked about how hard that is, just given that this has been obviously a something that our country's been dealing with since our founding. And mm -hmm. at some point it's not our story to tell, but in a way it is in the sense in terms of recognizing that we need to do better. I mean, how how did you how did you know when you got this one right? Well, when we wrote the original story we we did actually ask other people to give their opinion and really listen to that and so that was what really i've never done that before with a right. song i've sure. never there, there, i've never yeah. written something that i wasn't sure if it was the right way to go and so or knowing the like thinking about it like okay i the reason why i kind of came to this with a different perspective is because on my previous record i'd written a, a song about rape culture and I shared, uh, or I was inspired by a friend's um, account and that was implemented in the song. It wasn't her story specifically, but when she was aware of it, I had um, essentially created the same violation to her by that. She was her and that, that wasn't a place that I ever wanted my songwriting to be. It is a it is a selfish endeavor a lot of times in order to like talk about something or write about something. You get influenced by a lot of things and, and inspiration from different things. So the inspiration isn't necessarily wrong. It's when you write it and then it's received and to be able to take that into account and say, you know what, you if this is what is uh, uh, being felt then I need to I need to go back to the drawing board and I need to rewrite this in a way to to actually get the message that we are actually trying to speak to. It's not just about Elijah McLean. It's about all of the people that that's been through. And by pulling the lens back and still letting his story inspire the songwriting of it, we still got to talk about things that are more important and that we actually need to focus on. It's not about the victim. It's about changing it to where we're supporting the survivors of these events that we are 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 not pointing our finger at something and saying that's wrong we need to be looking at ourselves individually and saying how can we do better right. how can we make this better for other people and so approaching the song in that way really allowed us to feel empowered by the song more instead of just you know a murder ballad
good. I, I just like the way it ends with the, the fiddle just takes off toward, and I think that kind of leaves you with it. The same thing, you know, we're, we'll get back to the, the first song, but it kind of does lead in a little bit to the Greek tragedy and the way that the, the way the song ends with the orchestration just, it leaves you somewhat inspired in a way. Up and up and up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's, that's something that we tried to, we kind of used melody to kind of lift and celebrate some of the, um, the, the lives, the, well, not to celebrate the tragicness, but to <laughs> celebrate the, the, the lives um, that have right. been lost. And I think that, you know, death can be something that's really sad and, and, and horrible for the people that are left behind. But because in our society, we don't, we're uncomfortable talking about death. You know, I think it's something that we need to to be more comfortable with. And I think it's important that we celebrate the people that have gone on to the other side. And so we are the memory keepers. And that's I I want to remember the people I've lost that I really care about. I want to have their memory. I, I want it to not always hurt. And I feel like when you can share a story or sing a song about them, I think that allows them to keep going within you. And that's what I really want to do for my grief. And I think that's what we're trying to inspire in other people in order to at least allow yourself to go through it. Yeah. And I think also there's a way to do that in song where it's not just sad. And I think that's what we tried to do with the melodies yeah. to balance out the sadness with this, with the, with the uplifting melody, the uplifting melody yeah. to celebrate their memories. I mean, a song like Greek Tragedy, which I, I think is a very personal song, uh, just kind of going back from ghost stories, I, I think there's just a lot of real personal touch to it. But again, it's it's not specific. I mean, I, I understand it's about Justin Towns Earl. And it was inspired. We've lost a lot of people, though, to addiction. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole thing. It's especially in the, the sense of losing somebody to suicide or addiction, there's almost within the sadness or even the anger that you might feel there's also a kind of relief that that person doesn't have to carry that burden anymore and understanding that so i think that was where i was coming from when we were writing the song When I listen to it, I, it's, it's really touching. And I think the lines like stars tell on you, wishing you'd found the clues. I mean, I think we can all think of someone in our lives who 
Yeah. I've been through something like that. Yeah. Got to be pretty hard well, to. It's so easy for someone else to see it clearly, but if you're the person that's within the weeds of it, you can't. You know. And I think that's the hardest thing about addiction is that you everyone else can see it, but the person that's in it, and it's it's really difficult. Now, was this one hard to write? I wonder. Which I know is a very broad question, <laughs> but I think this took a little bit of of um, well, we working. Yeah, we worked. She originally started the melody on the what was that? The no. auto harp auto melody. Harp. Um, and so I kind of had the melody already, and then you know Justin had just recently passed, and so that's kind of like what led to the exploration of that song. But I had to, again, pull the lens back. It couldn't just be about him. It would be too hurt. It's hurtful. It's hurtful. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not just about Justin. It's, there are so many people that we've lost to addiction and that we lose every single day. It's an epidemic in this country. It was the um, kind of catalyst though, because when you like, when he died, it was sort of like a remembrance of everyone before that we knew. And that's the thing that kind of goes into this as far as the need to write the song, you know. Addiction is just so hard because it's often, you know, something that's programmed in your genes and it's once it, you know, the drug gets its hook in you, it's really hard to, um, to move past that. So it's definitely something that a lot of people have struggled with and uh, whether they're personally or, or with a loved one. So well, I want to thank you both for your time and being so open. And I got one more song I want to talk about, and that's that's the opener, Ballad of Sissy and Porter. And to me, this is, it's just a fun song to listen to because it has that Cajun kind of riff. And again, what I like about it is that you kind of rewrite the story, I think, and you don't really know what happens at the end. And Well, it was inspired by Chris Porter, and I think that was a good way of trying to describe him. Like, like he was the type of um, spinner of yarn, you know, that like, even if you were, you were there and part of the story that he was telling, you wouldn't always recognize the story. Like there was truth to every part of it, but there was always a little bit of, you know, a lot, I, a lot of fiction, <laughs> a lot um, of, a, a, he, he kind of missed his, yeah. uh, his calling as a comedian, but even though I didn't co-write that particular song, um, well, they, she had already written a really excellent song that really captured him, and so I was wanting to... It was to, called The Last Laugh, yeah. which, again, when we were writing that song for our Masterson's record, that is that was... I wanted it to come across how funny he was, and that, like, you know, it's still kind of a sad song, but... Um, but I still hear his laugh. That's the thing. And so it's like, his his laughter will always be something that I can pull from memory, and just 
when I sat down with Bonnie Montgomery to write this song, I was I was wanting to kind of tell our our love story without telling our love story, you know, and and that sort of way of capturing him. I I feel like I did a really good job. <laughs> so. I like the lines like just like a storm when it's blowing in and it's over as fast as it began and then holding on to lightning ain't something you can do for long. Yeah. I mean, I think again, it just this is this is gonna be like a really dumb question, but just those analogies I just think are so apt in so many different things. And just do those lines just kind of come to you? I mean, do I mean obviously they do, but I mean do they kind of rattle around and you're like, I got this right line, where can I use it? Or does it kind of like all at once come out in a song? Well, so we had uh, that uh, experience with Bonnie was through this whole uh, House of Songs weekend. And so we were co-writing with um, multiple people and she and I were kind of like the last ones. And she's got this really awesome, you know, country drawl about her. And I was actually hoping that she'd want to do the song, which is also why I didn't do it from first person, you know. But we were just sort of talking about it and it just sort of, I was ex uh, explaining, she didn't actually know Porter either, which was made it even more entertaining for me. Um, so I was just telling different stories and all that kind of stuff. And and one of the things that we were discussing was that when, when he did pass away, it was like a really bright light went out, you know? And so I think that was the kind of like inspiration behind that line was just, you know, it was like, you know, lights went out and, and we were all kind of, it happened also at a really like a traumatic time. It was like right before the election. Right before the election. And, and, and like all of It was of a these, rough year. And that year we lost Bowie and Prince and. It, but yeah. it just, I just kept thinking about like what he would have said if he had been able to stick around and see what all so happened. many good one-liners were missed out because of it and, <laughs> and so i think that like all of those sort of things were wanting to express the grandness of his personality 
you know, he was, he was kind of like the modern day Blaze Foley in that way, you know, it just, it, it hurt a lot when we lost him. And so I felt, I felt very much the need to, to keep writing songs about him. The album is fantastic, and these four songs, I, I just, I like them because they're, they just sound very different. I mean, musically, did you have any, they were any harder to get done than others just because they are very different and two are very kind of, I mean, they're all very emotional, but the ghost stories and Greek tragedy, I think, as you talked about, have that uplifting end to them. I mean, were any just songs that were just hard to kind of get that right feeling at the end with musically? I don't think so. I mean, I think we didn't have a lot of pressure. Um, we didn't have a record deal at the time. And so there wasn't really anybody standing over us micromanaging what we were doing. So we just had a lot of freedom. And I think you can find a lot of creativity when you have that freedom. So we just had fun you know, dressing we, up these songs and yeah, not having going into a project without expectations definitely allows uh, a lot of freedom. And I think, you know, synergy to commence under those circumstances. And the thing about it is, is that Eleanor and I work well together. And that's not always the case going into these type of things. You're not really sure. But in this particular one, we'd already known our working relationship from uh, participating in our previous projects. This one, it just, it was almost like we didn't have to finish complete sentences with each other. It just was easy. Surprisingly, <laughs> Surprisingly easy. easy. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you both again for your time tonight as we wrap up. Thanks, thank you, Rob. We, we kind of talked this at the beginning, but what what are your expectations for 2022? <laughs> I don't have any. Trying to take over the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any expectations <laughs> left. I, 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 I have pivoted and reconfigured so many times. What's Ray Riley Hubbard say? It's like your your best days are kept when, when your expectations are low. <laughs> right, something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, definitely want to keep no expectations. Um, yeah. I think we're just really happy that uh, the record has been well received so far, and we hope we can tour these songs mm -hmm. and come out and play for some folks or coming through D.C. in the spring. So. Oh, great. Well, I will definitely be checking that out. So, well, again, thank you both for your time. And thank it's you. been wonderful talking with you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Whew. Well, thank you, Bonnie and Eleanor, for your time and for being so open and sharing so much this was like i said this was a doozy this was emotional but i learned a hell of a lot i hope you did too i hope you enjoyed this one i don't know when i'll be back as i said you better subscribe and follow me on twitter at four songs too so you can keep up with me anyway thank you again and i'll be talking to you at some point in the future see ya <laughs>